Psalm 103. Love that song about the faithfulness of God. Are you aware of the faithfulness of God? Are you aware God is good and his mercy and his grace just covers us even in spite of us at times? Whether we believe or don't believe, God is still good, right? Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget none of his benefits, who pardons all your iniquities, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with loving kindness and compassion, who satisfies your years with good things. Glory to God. Glory to God. Thank you, Lord, for uh, your faithfulness. You're faithful even when we're not. Wow. I'm grateful, God, that you never change. Jesus, I'm grateful you're the same yesterday, today, and forever. Uh, I'm grateful for uh, your love that just never stops pursuing us. Right now, God, we just cry out to you and we just say we need you. Some of us are more aware than others about how bad we need you, Lord. But the truth is, sinner and saint, we all need your grace and we all need your word. So I pray, God, that you just uh, meet with everyone here in a special way. I pray that you speak to those who are watching online this morning, God, and grab a hold of them, whether they're sipping their coffee or on a run or whatever they're doing, God, would you just give them a word? And by your grace, work in me and through me, Lord. Have your way, Lord. I pray you give us um, eyes to see you and ears to hear you and a heart to receive your word, God. May your word fall on good ground. Change us. I pray that a miracle happens even during the preaching, Lord. I pray that, I pray that souls turn to you. I pray that minds believe maybe for the first time. I pray that walls of pride come down and addiction or whatever it is, God, that's hindering us from going to the next level with you. I pray that it uh, just comes off and I pray that we experience more of you in a life-changing way and we experience you in our homes, in our marriage, our children, wherever, whatever stage of life we're in, God, I pray that we experience you. Thank you, Lord, for your faithfulness. It's in the name of Jesus Christ, the name above all names, that we pray all this. Amen. Amen, church. God is good. Well, before you sit down, just turn to someone and just tell them God is faithful. Can you do that? Tell them God is faithful. It's a good word. God is faithful. Thank you, worship team, for leading us. Thank you so much. Appreciate them. <coughs> um, well, God is faithful. I think the longer I walk with God, the more I'm grateful uh, for the faithfulness of God. I, I think it becomes, because it, I, I become more aware of all my flaws. <laughs> I think that's what it is. Uh, you know, when you're young, you don't recognize your flaws. And the older you get, the more you recognize how life is short and life is precious. And, uh, and you see yourself in all your inadequacies and you're grateful for, for, for God's love. So uh, welcome to church. Glad you're here. I, I just believe God wants to move again. Last night he moved in a really special way. And I'm praying that God just moves again. And I hope you come expecting to hear, uh, to hear a word. Um, <coughs> this, uh, we're in this series called Would You Like to Leave a Tip? And uh, we're looking at how... Uh, what the Bible has to say about being good stewards, about uh, money, and that's something all of us have in common, right? I mean, you, you, we use money to, to live. Um, Grace and I went out to eat. Uh, we go on dates quite a bit. You know, when you, you just always have to go on dates. Even when you're married a long time, it's just good to go out on dates. And uh, we went out to um, a, uh, I'm not going to tell you which restaurant it was, but it's four letters and it starts with the letter I. Um, <laughs> I'm just kidding. Uh, but it was a breakfast place. It wasn't that one. And uh, we went out and, uh, and uh, this particular breakfast place, it's not like a chain breakfast place. 
but they're known, their chefs are known for being like in training. So um, they cook really good breakfast. And I'm a breakfast guy. Anybody breakfast people out there? I love breakfast. It's like one of my favorite meals of the day. And uh, I take a lot of pride when I cook breakfast. But anyway, so we went to this, this place, not IHOP. And uh, when we were there, um, we walked in and, and uh, we've always had good experiences there. But we walked in this time. And they, they said, hey, uh, we, were, we thought we'll sit over there. And, you know, and we went ahead and sat in this corner so we can have some conversation. And while we were sitting there, and I'm getting ready. I mean, I like this place. I like their, they do this stuff with eggs. And, and uh, anyway, just some really, there's a lot of artistic work behind their eggs and, and pancakes and all that stuff. And anyway, so um, when we sat down, the guy came up to us and said, you're going to sit here. Well, I, I guess it's okay. I guess, and I was like, I was like, oh, what's up with that? And anyway, and then he went. I started talking to him about the menu, and he said, "Hold on, hold on, hold on. This is the way it works. She talks first. Man, you know, you know what I'm feeling right now. <laughs> you feeling that? So I felt that, and I was just like rubbed just the wrong way. And I'm like, well, of course I want my wife to order first, and of course she might have questions, but." Just the way you're talking to me, your tone of voice, and the way it's coming across, it just doesn't feel good. And, and then he leaves the table, and I tell Grace, Grace, did you, did you see that? Did you see that? And she goes, oh, baby, you know what? He's probably just having a hard day. And, then, you know, she's just being so good. She's such a saint. And I'm like, no, baby, I think he's a punk. I think, he's, I think this guy's, a, I think he's wrong. And then so he goes ahead and co- comes back to the table, and then he starts, same, same vibe, same thing, just going, going, and then I want ahead and I, you know, I was like, okay, you know, I went ahead and ordered the food and I tasted it and it just, it was good food, but it just didn't taste right. <laughs> there was something about it and it had to do with me. It had to do with me. The food was good, but I was in the wrong place. It wasn't satisfying me like it normally did. You know what I'm talking about? I can have a peanut butter and jelly sandwich in a home full of love and peace and think it's filet mignon. But you can have filet mignon or whatever in a really nice restaurant. And if you have bad service, the food just doesn't taste that good. You know, has anybody been there before? Yeah, you want to tell the server, it's okay, find another job. It's okay. You don't have to do this. We know you don't want to do this. We know this is not your wheelhouse. Find another job. Today's title is Good Food, Bad Service. Good Food, Bad Service. Have you, uh, have you been there in life before? You, uh, you, you accomplish your goal, whatever it might be. You, you live in that house. You reach a certain level of income. Or you're climbing that corporate ladder. Or your retirement fund is where you want it to be. Or you have that car that you always wanted or, or whatever it is, you have that goal and you finally achieve that goal. And once you have it, it's like that good food, you know, on your plate and you're like, okay, it's there, but it's really not like filling me. I'm still not, there's something missing and I don't know what it is, but I wanted it and now I have it. And now um, it hasn't filled me like I hoped it would. You know, when I thought about this message, I thought about uh, Solomon, King Solomon. King Solomon, um, he was actually the third king in Israel. The first king, you remember his name? Saul. Saul was the first king. And the, the people of Israel chose Saul. And then, and then uh, and he really was like three strikes and he was out kind of thing. And then his, uh, not his, but uh, the next king was a shepherd and his name was David. And David was known as a man after God's own heart. Uh, nobody saw David as a king, not even his own father. And, and Samuel anointed David. Beautiful story. And, and uh, Sam or David, when kings go to war, David stayed behind, sitting on a rooftop. And he's looking out. And there's this beautiful woman taking a bath. And he notices her. He has a weak moment. He commits adultery with this woman and he murders her husband, Uriah. And it was just a crazy story. But uh, the first son dies. And then incidentally, that woman, remember her name? Bathsheba. Bathsheba. So it was David and Bathsheba. And their second son lives. His name is Solomon. That's Solomon. Solomon is amazing. Um, you know, Solomon is known for, uh, for this incredible prayer he prayed. You know, he was, he was having a conversation with God and God said, what do you want? And Solomon said, you know, I cannot be the king you want me to be unless you give me wisdom. And he asked for wisdom. That's a powerful prayer. Ask God 
for wisdom. God will give you the ability to see things that other people can't see. He'll give you the ability to discern right from wrong. And wisdom is incredibly valuable and has nothing to do with how many letters are behind your name. <coughs> it has nothing to do with your degree. It has nothing to do with your heritage or anything of that stuff. Wisdom comes from, comes from heaven. Wisdom is a wonderful thing. And you see things the way God sees them. That's, and the beginning of wisdom is fear. Fear is the beginning of wisdom. That's what scripture says. So the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. So Solomon asked for wisdom and God was so impressed with that. God said, you know what? Because you didn't ask for riches or fame, I'm going to give you wisdom, but I'm also going to give you riches and fame. So Solomon, I mean, he's just blessed. The guy has wisdom and people travel from all over the world to sit at his feet and to listen to him talk about life, wisdom. But in Ecclesiastes, uh, incidentally, Solomon, give you some perspective. He was richer than Elon Musk, Jeff Bezos, and he had more women than Jay-Z, George Clooney, or Hugh Hefner combined. This guy had 700 wives and 300 concubines, like say 300 girlfriends on the side. And, uh, and, and the guy had, uh, I mean, he had all the pleasures that he wanted. In Ecclesiastes chapter two, he says this, I said to myself, Come on, say, come on with me. Come on. on. Let's try pleasure. Let's look for the good things in life. But I found that this too was meaningless. So I said, laughter is silly. What good does it do to seek pleasure? After much thought, I decided to cheer myself with wine. And while still seeking wisdom, I clutched at foolishness. In this way, I tried to experience the only happiness most people find during their brief life in this world. I also tried to find meaning by building huge homes for myself and by planting beautiful vineyards. I made gardens and parks, filling them with all kinds of fruit trees. I built reservoirs to collect the water to irrigate my many flourishing groves. I bought slaves, both men and women, and others were born into my household. I also owned large herds and flocks, more than any of the kings who had lived in Jerusalem before me. I collected great sums of silver and gold, the treasure of many kings and provinces. I hired wonderful singers, both men and women, and had many beautiful concubines. I had everything a man could desire. So I became greater than all who had lived in Jerusalem before me, and my wisdom never failed me. Anything I wanted, now think about that, anything I wanted. You like that on Amazon? Just go for it, just get it, it doesn't matter. Anything I wanted, I would take. I denied myself no pleasure, I even found great pleasure in hard work, a reward for all my labors. But, say but with me, church, but. But. As I looked at everything I had worked so hard to accomplish, it was all so, what? So, like chasing the wind. There was nothing really worthwhile anywhere. Isn't that crazy? I mean, this is a guy who had a blank check in life. Anything he wanted, he took. Any desire, any pleasure within him, he pursued. Sex, money, position, power, riches, prestige, anything he had. And at the end, he said, it's all meaningless. It's all meaningless. At the very end of Ecclesiastes, he says, this is the whole duty of man to fear God and obey his commandments. That's where he lands. But he experimented with life a little bit and he went through this whole thing and he says, you know what? Um, Money, all the riches he had, money did not buy him happiness. Money didn't buy him happiness. Um, There was a couple of studies that were done, one in 2010. Uh, In 2010, there was a study about can money buy happiness? That was the question. And uh, this study, uh, there were 450,000 participants 
And a study went out, and uh, this is a conclusion. After income surpasses about $75,000 per year, happiness stops increasing altogether. Isn't that interesting? That was the number. Out of 450,000 participants, that's what they concluded. After that, it just kind of levels off a bit. It doesn't really spike. It doesn't really go northeast. And then in 2021, another study came out pursuing the same question, can money buy happiness? And the result was incomes over 75,000 can buy life satisfaction, but not happiness. It's like, I can eat a really good meal and I could sit on my plate, but I'm not necessarily happy. The food is good, the plate is good, everything about it is good, the house is nice. Uh, you know, you might have granite countertops, but have conflict in your home, right? You might live behind that automatic garage door, but your marriage is a war. There might, be, there might be abuse, whatever it is. You know it doesn't really matter the situation, whether you live in the projects or a penthouse or wherever you live. It doesn't matter what zip code you're at. It doesn't matter where you live. You know what? You really can't take a vacation from yourself, regardless of where you travel. And, and the problems just kind of go with you. So you could have all of the things and still be missing something inside. Verse uh, chapter 5, Solomon said, Those who love money will never have enough. Think about that. How meaningless to think that wealth brings true happiness. So what makes you happy? What is it that makes you happy? In this world, there definitely is this message of um, if you have more money, you'll be more happy, right? That's kind of the message. In fact, we even look at people and look at the way they dress and look at, look at the cars they drive and look at their position at work and, and, and look at where they're at you know, in their life and, and we, we, we value or we define success based on, based on their net worth. We do that all the time. Paul said this in Timothy. He said, but people who long to be rich fall into temptation and are trapped by many foolish and harmful desires that plunge them into ruin and destruction. Now, this doesn't matter whether you're a believer or not a believer. Have you ever seen someone just make bad decisions because of money? They took a job because of money. I took a job when I was going to, when to get my, my degree, uh, my theology degree in, in Colorado Springs. I took this job. Uh, it was like a, a sales position. And it was uh, something like 20 hours a week. And when, I remember when I took the job, I remember God telling me, Reuben, don't take this job. But the pay was good. I think God, you know, he was missing this one a little bit. So I, I went ahead and took the job. And I took that job, and I'll just tell you, every day, miserable. Have you been there before? The pay's good, but every day, miserable. And I, I remember that. I'll never forget that. And I just, the Lord was like telling me every day, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, you see there? Verse 10, Paul says, for the love of money, say the love of money with me, the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Wow. And some people craving money have wandered from the true faith and pierced themselves with many sorrows. So I want to be clear, money is not evil. I mean, God has given us resources and he wants us to be good stewards I think it's wise to invest. I think it's wise to save. I think it's wise to, to be a good steward with everything God has given you. Money is not evil at all. But the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And Paul makes this connection with something tangible. This means that we use when we go to Starbucks or wherever we're at. And he makes this leap how, how the love of money can actually impact your spiritual life. I mean, think about that. There's correlation between a means of every day and your spiritual life. And he says, he says he's seen people who have wandered from the true faith and pierced themselves with many sorrows. You ever gone down that wrong road and you think, why did I go down this road? Why did I buy this? Why am I here? Why did I move? Why did I take this? Why did I do this? And it was driven by maybe a higher income or whatever it was. And once you're down that road, you realize, you know what? There's something more to life than a big check. There's something more to life. 
See, there's a short step between wanting money and loving money. It's even shorter between loving and worshiping. See, whatever you love, you, you're going to worship. Some of you love yourself. And you worship yourself. You're always concerned about how you look and how you manage yourself and your image. And you're concerned that whatever it is, you can worship yourself. That's called pride. Satan, Lucifer, worshiped himself in heaven. Pride is as old as heaven. And he was kicked out of heaven because he was full of pride. Full of pride. But you can worship anything. You can love anything. Man, you can worship a woman. You can move across the, town, across the country for a woman. You can worship her. You can worship a man, ladies. You can worship a man. You can worship a job. You can worship your kids. And make all your decisions based on your children. You could worship anything. We are, we are we're created to worship. And there's a really short step between loving and worshiping. And here's where it comes down to. It's one of the Ten Commandments. God said to this to us. He said, uh, you shall have no other gods before me. Let's read it out loud, guys. You shall have no other gods before me. There it is. It's one of the commandments. God's your God. God wants you to worship him. And when you start worshiping other things, yourself, money, a relationship, whatever it is, you know what you find out pretty quickly? They can't give you what God can give you. He can't give you what God can give you. She can't give you what God can give you. And you recognize, you know what? Only God, only God can give you a life that comes from heaven. Only God can satisfy you. Paul the Apostle later on, he said, you know what? I've learned to be content. I've learned to be content. Regardless of my circumstances, whether I have little or I have much, I've learned to be content. And when you walk with God, you get to this place where you recognize, all I need is God. I'm okay. I'm okay. God tells us he'll supply all of our needs. He'll provide all of our needs according to his riches and glory. Glory to God. He'll take care of us. Over and over, he'll take care of us. See, we can say we love God and chase after money. We can do that. Jesus said, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. There's only one place for God. But we can put other things there. We can put other things. And God is a jealous God. He wants all of you. He doesn't want part of you. He doesn't want your leftovers. He wants all of you. He wants you to know who he is. That's what made Israel so unique. They were a monotheistic population, meaning they worshiped one God. And in Egypt, it was a polytheistic culture where they worshiped many gods. And when you look at them in Egypt, all those plagues, those 10 plagues, really, they were just, you know, kicking all those foreign gods, false gods in the teeth. And God was saying, there's no God like the God of Moses. And our life really is a journey in discovering there's only one God. There's only one God who made you. There's only one God who's given you breath. There's only one God who sent his only son, Jesus Christ, into the world. And that is God. That's, it's the Trinity. It's, it's the Father God. It's Jesus, his son. And it's the Holy Spirit. All in one. God. <clears throat> Whatever you love with your heart, you will worship. There's a story um, in, in Luke chapter 12. And Jesus unpacks this a little bit more. He says this. And he told them a story. A rich man had a fertile farm that produced fine crops. He said to himself, what should I do? I don't have room for all my crops. What a problem, right? My business has grown so much. I'm just booming. And now I've got major problems. Then he said, I know I'll tear down my barns and build what? Build bigger ones. Then I'll have room enough to store all my wheat and other goods. And I'll sit back and say to myself, my friend, you have enough stored away for years to come. Now take it easy and move to Florida and drive a golf cart and eat, drink, and be merry. Just be aware of those hurricanes a little bit. 
But God said to him, you what? You, well, you will die this very night. Then who will get everything you worked for? Then Jesus says, yes, a person is a fool to store up earthly wealth, but not have a rich relationship with God. That word fool, such a strong word, isn't it, guys? I mean, when someone says, you're a fool, that's not a compliment. That's saying, you know what, you're naive. You can't see everything. You have blind spots. You're stuck in yourself. You don't have a teachable spirit. You're not willing to listen to anyone. You're hard-headed and you're stubborn. You're going to hell and you don't even know it. It's hard, isn't it? A fool. And when I thought about this this story and and this guy, uh, first of all, you know, you see you see this uh, desire for more, and we can all connect with that. This desire for more we have. But you know what? I, I, I want more. And it's that, that desire that's unquestionable, that never-ending you know, desire, that appetite. I, I just want a little more. I just want a little more. I just want a little more. And, and he does this. But one thing we discover with this guy that we can all relate to is we don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. We don't know how long our life is. Do you? Do you know the day that, that you're going to be leaving this world? You don't know. I don't know. Our life is just like a blade of grass, like a flower in the fields. We don't know how long we will be living in this world. So we have this opportunity while we have breath to exercise this thing called faith. After this world, you, you won't need faith. You know that, right? There's heaven and there's hell. You won't need any faith after this world. But while we are in this world... You have this opportunity to exercise something that angels don't even exercise. Faith. This trust in the Lord. This trust in God. This trust in his word. Walking with God. Experiencing him and, you know, as you day-to-day life. Whatever it is. Uh, the next thing I thought about with this guy. So he's, he's, uh, he's, he's called a fool. He's oblivious to the fact. He's building up his own empire. And he has no idea that his day is coming. No idea. He's living as if he's going to live forever. And Jesus says, you fool. Then I thought about this guy and I thought, you know, look at this guy. Incredibly successful. If, if he was your friend, if he was someone that you knew in the community, in, in whatever, where you work at, go to school, live with, whatever. If you were to see this guy wouldn't you say he's successful? I mean, wouldn't you look at this guy and say, wow, look at his business. Look at that. Look how he's providing for his family. Look how he's taking care of him. Look, it's just exploding. And now he's all over the place and everywhere I see he's online. I mean, wouldn't you look at him and call him a success? I think most of us would. But Jesus says, He's a fool because he stored up his earthly wealth, but he did not have a rich relationship with God. And you know what Jesus is saying? You got to hear this. There's nothing in this life that is more valuable than pouring yourself into a deep relationship with God. Nothing in this world. Think about that for a little bit. Nothing in this world. No investment. No purchase. No experience that is more valuable than seeking a deep life-changing relationship with God seeking God and seeking his will for your life a desire to know him and walk with him every day you know God wants to speak to you every day God has God has a post for you every day for you he wants you to search him he wants you to know his presence he wants you to know truth he wants you to experience peace and joy and happiness from heaven he wants you to experience healing in your life he wants you to know him and Jesus is saying there's nothing in this world more more satisfying more fulfilling than having a deep relationship with God and if you're stuck in this world 
world and all you're concerned about is climbing that corporate ladder or building your empire or your retirement, then you're a fool. Wow. Wow. Jesus looks at things so differently. We look at that and say, wow, that guy's got it all together. Look at him. Look at him. He gets to go anywhere he wants. He gets to go on all the vacations he wants. Wow, look at his experience. That's so cool. And Jesus looks at that. He always looks at things differently all the time. You know what God looks at? He looks at the heart. That's why when they were trying to figure out who's going to be king and nobody considered David, the shepherd out in the fields. He didn't walk the right way and he didn't whatever, but God looks at the heart all the time. God looks at faithfulness. God looks at humility. God looks at obedience. God looks at your desire to seek him and it's enough for him. We have to be careful because in this world we can say, oh, someone has money, so they're successful. In fact, the truth is our human nature is, oh, I want to become buddies with them because if I get close enough with them, maybe some of their lifestyle will rub off on me. When I'm in tr- maybe they're going to pour a little bit, they're going to you know, throw a little bit my way, so I want to be friends with the wealthy. Well, you need to be careful. God doesn't look at, this, uh, at, at, at that the same way. Now, when you look at scripture, you see over and over examples of wealthy people. Glory to God. And you see examples of people who are not rich financially, but they have an incredible relationship with God. First Timothy, Paul says this, teach those who are rich in this world not to be proud and not to be, not to, look at this, not to trust in their money, which is so unreliable. Their, uh, their, there's that T word again, their trust should be in God who richly gives us all we need for our enjoyment. And I think that's the challenge when it comes to money because it's just so real and it's super easy to say, okay, so I'm going to put my, and we may not say I'm trusting in money. We may not say that, but we, we, we think if I have more, if I have more of a cushion, if I have, as I'm good, you know, it's super easy guys to walk with God when you have a, High checking account, high savings account. You know what I'm talking about? It's super easy to do that. But what happens when that goes down? You know, when that goes down, you know what happens? You're on your knees and you're saying, God, I need you. (laughs) God, I need you. I need that. I need a job. I need whatever it is. And it's a short step for us to trust God or excuse me, trust the money instead of trusting God. It's a short step to do that. And Paul is saying, be careful. Anytime you compromise your relationship with God or your obedience to God because it makes financial sense, you're not trusting God. You're trusting money more than your God. In the Bible, you see incredible examples of people who uh, loved God and had money. Abraham, God blessed him. He had wealth. But if you look at Abraham, he knew where the wealth came from. In fact, he had so much wealth, and you know what would happen many times when he would have a moment with God and he would experience God? He would build an altar, and he would thank God right there. That was on the top of his mind. Isaac, Jacob, Job, Joseph eventually, VP of operations. I mean, over and over, you see these incredible people in the Bible who loved God and had wealth. Paul said, tell, those, tell them to use their money to do good, They should be rich in good works and be generous to those in need, always being ready to share with others. By doing this, they will be storing up their treasures as a good foundation for the future so that they may experience true life. I think of Joseph of Artemisia. He prepaid for his funeral. He had a tomb that he prepaid for. And then a man named Jesus came into town. And he went to a cross and Joseph said, hey, I prepaid for a tomb. Let him stay there. Put him in that tomb. He was a wealthy man. Women supported the ministry of Jesus over and over and over. Lydia hosted the first church in Europe. God bless her. Joseph called Barnabas, sold land and gave the proceeds to believers. Uh, The Macedonian church 
funded Paul's missionary trips over and over and over. So one thing you see with these people is, is this. They worship the provider, not the provision. Worship the provider, not the provision. And godly people recognize, you know what? This is great. This money is great. This, 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 this plate of food is great. But I know who's the provider. And I'm not going to get emotionally attached to this. I'm not going to clutch this. I'm going to clutch him. I want to hold on to my God. And God blesses me and he provides for me and he knows the desires of my heart. But I know who's the provider. So you worship the blesser, not the blessing. You hear that? Don't fall in love with your granite countertops. Don't fall in love with any materialistic thing. It's great and it's a blessing. God wants you to enjoy life. I hear that. God wants you to enjoy life. But he is God and nobody else is God. Glory to God. And he wants you to worship him because he's the provider. What about Paul the Apostle? If you look at that guy, you could say financially, that guy was a fail. The guy lives in, he's in jail at the very end of his life. He's in a prison and he's just writing letters to different churches. That's all he's doing. How many people looked at that guy and said, he's a success? I think they looked at him and thought he's crazy. Why would God do that to him? He's followed Jesus all of his life and now he's in jail. What kind of ending to a life is that? Do you think he was rich? Absolutely he was rich. So be careful how you define success and how you define happiness. Worship the provider, not the provision. King David, he said this. They were raising funds for a temple in 1 Chronicles 29. You can read it, the whole thing. But he said, oh, our God, and this is David speaking. We thank you and praise your glorious name. But who am I? And who are my people? that we could give anything to you, everything we have has come from you. And we give you only what you first gave us. Now here's a godly man with a proper view of money. And he looks at his money and he says, you know what? This money has come from God. God is the one who has put me in this position. God is the one who's giving me this skill set. God is the one who's giving me wisdom. God is the one who is, has been over my life. And, they, and godly people do this. They look at their money. And I have, I, have, you know, I have wealthy friends who love God. And they have the same outlook. They look at their money and they say, well, this money has come from God. I'm only passing it along. It's not mine, God. You gave it to me. And I'm going to worship you with it. And however you want to use it, just use me as a vessel and the privilege, the honor is I'm the vessel. The honor is I'm the instrument. So God, you lead me, you guide me. And David says, yep, we're giving this money to a church to build this temple. And David says, well, really, God, I'm not really the one giving it because you gave it to me. And I'm just kind of giving it back to you. I'm not really giving it. It's like that story of that dad who gives French fries to his kid and, and wants a French fry. And the, the kid says, all right. And maybe the kid says, I'll give you a French fry. And you're looking at it thinking, well, who brought you that French fry? <laughs> who brought you that happy meal? Who did that? It's the same thing. David looks and he says, let me say it this way. Don't forget who gives you breath and blessings. You're here right now. And there's people in the hospital room that would love to trade places with you right now. There's people on the streets who would love to trade places with you right now. There's people by themselves alone that would love to trade places with you right now. Don't forget who's given you breath and who's given you blessings. I think a big part of our walk with God is our memory. Our ability to remember where God has brought us from. Our ability to not forget Oh, you have no idea where I came from. <laughs> you have no idea who I am apart from Christ. You have no idea what God has done inside of my life and the transformation that has happened. You have no idea the life God has given me. And you don't forget. And when God gives you an opportunity to love on someone, you do it. 
It's an act of worship. When God gives you an opportunity to honor him with your finances at the local church that you attend, and you're like, okay, this is a church that God is feeding me, and I'm going to honor him with my finances, you do it out of a heart of joy. You give God yourself first. Then you give your money or whatever it is. But God is the provider. God is the one that's watching over your life, not your boss. Not your boss. God is the provider of your life, and your breath is in his hands. We took our, uh, we, we had our men's retreat last week. I'm getting my days all mixed up and it's so cool guys. I have a heart for men and there's a whole story behind why, but I'm not going to bore you with that story. But, but we, we, a whole bunch of guys, almost 100, <laughs> I was told 98, so I was corrected, but almost, almost 100 men went and, uh, we had a great time, but here's what you don't know. Um, that the cost for that worship or that worship, that men's retreat was uh, $100 per man to go. And um, did you know why it was a hundred bucks? Really, it was expensive. I mean, the last night, you know, you chose between steak and salmon and every night, I mean, every meal was taken care of. And we flew in three guest speakers from three different parts of the country, from Nashville and, and Detroit and, and Dallas. And, and, and the lodge was great. I mean, we had a fireplace and everything. I mean, it was just really nice, really nice. Uh, really, it should have been about 250 bucks a pop. But you know what happened? There was some men that said, we want to make it affordable for every man to go to this. And we're going to give money and put this in the pot for men's retreat. And anybody who wants to go can go. And if they don't have a hundred bucks, they can still go. But this money is going to cover the extra because we don't want money to be an excuse for a man not to go and go to the mountain and experience God. Isn't that beautiful? And then there's people like that who just give, have a kingdom heart. That's what it is. David has a kingdom heart. You just see things from a different perspective and you recognize everything that I have in this world is just temporary. It's, I'm, we're just passing through and you have a kingdom heart. And, and God worked in that way. And it started, it started because there were some generous people that said, Let's give more. And you see that all over scripture. There's some generous people that said, we're going to support the church. We're going to support that work. We're going to support that ministry. Where it started, there's always a place for someone who has wealth. And if God has blessed you with wealth, use it for his kingdom. There's a reason behind that. There's a purpose behind that. Use it for his kingdom. I want to show you, I want to show you the investment that these men who poured into men's retreat, I want to show you what God did at this retreat.
Well, praise Jesus. Isn't he God good? Uh, glory to God. Thank you, Jesus. Um, you know what I want you to see is Jesus is still changing lives. Every man that went out there, you know what? Men have, uh, we all have so much in common. You know, we all have our battles. We don't always let people know. But we all have our battles. We all have our secrets, just like women. We all have our secrets. And I, I, I uh, you know, the part of throwing that piece of paper in, the, in that fire, you know what that was? That was uh, that thing in their life, that addiction. Um, that thing in their life that they knew shouldn't be in their life. Whatever it was, and they all threw something in there. I had a phenomenal time praying for every man before they went on that soul walk. Special, special time. Just me and that man in that vestibule praying for them. And my heart is just overwhelmed. You know, one of the great things about a pastor, I mean, you see the best and the worst in people. But you get to see God move. That's cool. You get to see God move. It's so encouraging. I don't know what brought you to church today. Maybe this is your church. But I want you to know God brought you here. God brought you here. You may not be aware of that. You may thought it was an invite. You may thought you just stopped by. You may thought somebody dragged you. God put a desire in your heart and said, go to Thorn Creek Church. And he wants you to hear this. He loves you. He hears your prayers. He sees you. He wants you to know him. He wants you to know his grace, his mercy, his power, his healing power in your life. He wants you to turn to him with all of your heart and receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. He wants to walk with you. He wants you to know him. He wants you to know this rich life that he has for you. He'll take care of you. He'll watch over you. He'll provide for you. He'll be with you all the day. Turn to Jesus right now while you have breath in your lungs. Don't be like that fool. You don't know what's going to happen, right? We don't know what's going to happen. You don't know what's going to happen. I'm coming up to my anniversary where I got sick for a little bit. I had no ideas. I was not going to be preaching for like three months. I didn't preach last Easter. I can't tell you how excited I am about preaching this Easter, guys. It's going to be fire. I'm just going to tell you, I'm just so excited about preaching that song. I'm so excited. But you know what? When you've gone through tough stuff, you're grateful for the stuff today, right? You're grateful. And you don't forget what God has done in your life. You're farther along than you think you are. You're farther along than you think you are. And as long as you have breath in your lungs, there's hope. God has a purpose for you. God's not done with you yet. God's not done with you yet. His grace and his mercy is holding you up. Isn't that beautiful? It's holding you up. I want to give you an opportunity to turn to Jesus. You came to church and maybe you just wandered from your faith, whatever it is, and you're going to exercise. You're at this point where you're like, okay, I'm going to try this. I'm going to give my heart to Jesus. I want him to be my Lord and Savior. This is your opportunity right now. And then I want to say another prayer for those of you who've been measuring life by the wrong yardstick, <laughs> by the wrong ruler. And maybe it's been more about money and less about God. Maybe you could identify with that fool. And maybe God's saying, nope, it's time for you to work on your relationship with me. And maybe you're ready to make that decision. I want to pray pray for both of you. So let's bow our heads. And if you're ready to receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior, would you say this? Say, Jesus, I turn to you. I need you, Jesus. You know my life. I ask you for forgiveness, forgiveness of my sins. Forgive me for being self-centered and stubborn and forgive me for turning away from you and not seeking you out but right now this morning it's a different day I ask you Jesus to be my Lord come into my heart get behind the steering wheel of my life and I want to become a Christian right now I want you to be Lord of my past and 
Lord of my present and Lord of my future. So take my life. Teach me how to walk by faith. Put your Holy Spirit inside of me to guide me and lead me and give me power that I don't have. Help me. Thank you. Change my heart. Change the way I think. Change my home. And God, I also want to pray for those who are ready to honor you with their finances. And if that's you, would you maybe say this prayer? Say, say God, I, I don't want to be a fool. I want to have the heart of David. I want to honor you with what you've given me. It's come from your hand, and I recognize it. So God, I want to worship you with every part of my life, even my finances. And I'm going to trust you as my provider. You are my provider. It's in your name, Jesus, we pray all of this. Amen.